All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Pastor Jeff said you're sleepy, but I believe you're not. Okay. So we started a new series on integrity a couple weeks ago. We have been looking at stories in scripture where integrity has guided people to do the right thing in very difficult circumstances. And I want to start with kind of our theme verse that we have been coming back to every week, which is Proverbs 11.3. It says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. We're talking about the integrity of the upright, how integrity is something that will guide us through our lives. And a couple weeks ago, Jeff talked about the story of Daniel, who refused to eat the king feast. He chose to eat just the veggies and water, um, learning to have integrity in the small things. He didn't want to defile himself. He wanted to honor God with a small thing because God had big things for him later on. So we talked about that. And then last week we talked about the story of Esau who traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. And we talked about how resisting our appetites is fundamental to having integrity. How our appetites, we're not just brain, right? We all know we want to do the right thing, but sometimes those appetites come in, and those can be the things that drag us into areas where we find our integrity questioned. And today I want to share a story of one of my favorite people in Scripture, and her name is Abigail. So you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. Now, I have a confession. Here's my big confession. You ready? I did not want to do this series. I kind of don't like this topic. Now, it's different than some of you. Some of you don't like this topic because you're naughty. Because you're naughty and you just want to do whatever you want to do. And so you don't like this topic because you know, like, oh, great, i got to clean it up a little bit. But that's not why I don't like this topic. Actually, quite the opposite. I have a long history of being a rule follower and a people pleaser and having a fear of man in my life. And so... This topic is hard for me because when we say you do the right thing, I'm like, I don't sometimes know what the right thing is. What they think is right, what they think is right, what that is right, that is right. Can anybody, where are my people at today? Thank you. Okay. Because, you know, Jeff gets up here and talks about Jesus was the, Jesus the rule breaker. And I'm always like, I don't know Jesus the rule breaker makes me very nervous. So that's why I felt a little nervous about this um, because it's a hard topic for me. Um, it's the thing, though, that the Lord continually keeps working on my heart about fearing God more than I fearing, fear men, um, about struggling to make other people happy, um, being afraid of what other people are going to think about me. And if I'm not careful, the reason this topic is hard for me, if I'm not careful, I can fixate on what others think I should do instead of what God thinks I should do. And I can get stuck. And sometimes the idea of doing what is right is confusing to me. And if I'm honest, it can be exhausting and overwhelming and filled with anxiety. So because there are so many opinions out there as to what is right, right? There are so many opinions. Now, of course, there are those fundamental things that are wrong that you and I can easily agree on. I mean, we all agree. Like, let's not murder anybody, right? We agree. That is bad. No stealing. Don't sleep with people you're not married to. We can all agree on those things. There are definitely things that are black and white. And if we are followers of Christ, we can pretty much agree on them. This is a no-brainer. But there are far more things that don't fall into that black and white category, right? Many of the decisions that we have to make every day 
The decisions that can compromise our integrity one way or the other are not about murder. <laughs> They're about things that we have that fall on the different spectrum of what is right and wrong. Theologians will call these items matters of conscience. Matters of conscience. There are things that we have to decide. Is this is this right? Is God telling me this is okay? Or is God saying, no, 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 no that's not okay, right? I remember a, a number of years ago, I had friends who were smuggling Bibles into China. Okay? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine trying to smuggle a Bible into China, right? That they had to go and they had to, like, stand at the border and hide Bibles all over their body. And then when they get there, they have to lie. And I'm like, I would be the worst Bible smuggler in the entire world because I'd be like, I admit it. I did it. It's me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I have a Bible in my backpack. I'm so sorry, right? But you could argue both sides of that case, right? That the law is an unjust law, and therefore we have a higher law to bring the word of God to people at the ends of the earth, right? Right? We can agree on that. Or is it always wrong to be deceptive? Is it always wrong to be deceptive, and therefore you shouldn't take Bibles into China? Right? I'm not saying I have the answer to these questions, but I'm saying this is where the tug of war happens for me in a lot of areas. And right now in our world, this is the question we're all facing right now, isn't it? This is the question we're facing. There is a biblical principle of honoring authority, following leaders and government, bosses, and that's real. There's scriptural precedent for all that, and yet we're all asking ourselves this question, when is the moment when we have to find where that line is, is that always a given? When is the more godly response to stand up and say, I don't think this is right? I'm asking this question right now, and I'm sure many of you are as well. I don't have the answer to this, but I know that these are hard questions. Now, for some of you, this is very easy. You're very black and white. You're like, eh, right, wrong, easy. I don't ever question this. But I think a lot of you're just natural rebels. You're just like, let me break the rules. It's fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. <laughs> yes. But I tend to lean towards being a rule follower. And so these things I think about a lot. We even see this tension in the New Testament as people who weren't of the Jewish faith were becoming followers of Christ. And all of the rules had said, you don't associate with people who don't follow, who aren't Jewish. You don't go to their house. You don't associate with them. There was a whole bunch of stuff that the Jewish people weren't supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, these Gentiles start hearing the gospel and following Christ and becoming Christians. And in Acts 10, we see the story of a Gentile person, Cornelius, calling Peter and asking him to come to his house. And Peter's like, whoa, hold on. That is against the rules. I'm a good Jewish person. I don't go to Gentiles' houses. He knew it was a, against Jewish law, but God gave Peter a vision to not follow the Old Testament way of thinking in this circumstance, but that he should go to Cornelius' house and share the gospel with him. And so Peter in that moment had to go, okay, this has been what the law has been, and yet the Spirit was able to move him to step outside of that for a moment. Now, I hate to admit it, but I would probably be more a lot like Peter. I would have probably leaned into the rule said, that's against the rules. I would have been worried about what everyone would think if they saw me going into Cornelius' house. I might have a little disguise if I was going to go to Cornelius' house. And I could have missed out on something amazing that God was going to do. Right? But I also like to think that I would be like Peter and trust that the Holy Spirit would be able to whisper something to my heart to step into that gray area with some clarity and some understanding and confidence. Right? 
So how do we do this? How do we honor God with every area of our life? How do we know what's right in those matters of conscience? How do we know what is right in those gray areas? And that's why I want to look at the story of Abigail today. Because Abigail didn't just do what everyone expected her to do. Abigail showed bravery in acting where she felt prompted to do so, even though it went against the cultural norms and the expectations of those around her. And God used her courage, her intellect, her discernment, and shrewdness in a pretty incredible way. So 1 Samuel 25. Let me give you a little context, and then we're going to just go through the whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but it's the whole story. Um, So Saul is the king of Israel, but David has already been appointed to become Saul's successor. So Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David and goes into a jealous rage and tries to kill David. So David and a bunch of his men who were loyal to him have fled into the wilderness. They're living out in the wilderness as fugitives because Saul is trying to hunt them down. So that is where we are picking up the story in 1 Samuel 25. It says this, now Samuel died. And all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. And there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with the message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you it's true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, David has been watching his sheep, right? He's out in the wilderness with all his men, and not only have they not stolen anything, which they could easily do, but they have been watching over. They've been protecting his sheep. So he, they have shown him kindness, and now he's asking for kindness in return. Verse 10. Here's Nabal's response. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are a lot of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who comes from who knows where? So we see that his, his response is harsh and ungracious and condescending. His name, Nabal, actually means fool. And if you study it, it's probably not the name his mother gave him, because that would have been really cruel. But because of his ongoing behavior, it would have been like his nickname, that everyone basically was just like, yeah, fool over there, because of the way he always responded. And we see that that's how he's acting here. Verse 12, so David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So now he's gone and done it. He's made David angry, and now there are 400 men who are angry and hungry and been living in the wilderness, and they are on their way to wipe out this whole household. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, 
David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble. And our master and his whole family, he's so ill-tempered, and no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive in the morning. Can you picture this moment now? 400 men coming down the ravine, sword strapped on, ready to kill. Abigail being alerted by her servants, you're fool of a husband has brought destruction on us all. And Abigail mobilizing everybody quietly so that he doesn't figure out what she's doing. And now she is going out and standing in front of these 400 men and David and to hopefully defuse the situation. Also, this is where I get really nervous for Abigail. Like, is she being deceptive? Is she going behind somebody's back? Um, I don't know. Ab Abigail's entered the gray zone here. So 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young man you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and take vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try and harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and violence. When the Lord had done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said, and we will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, 
So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. And as a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. Now, hold on. (laughs) Wait, just wait. It gets better. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise the Lord who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then he sent messengers to Abigail and asked her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. Is this not the best story ever? Somebody needs to make a movie about this lady. I love Abigail. Now, she makes me real nervous, but I think we can learn a whole lot from her. She was put into a situation where she had to make some decisions in the gray area. There were expectations of how she should respond culturally, all kinds of things. But her quick thinking and action was able to save her household. And so I want to just talk about a few things that we can learn from Abigail. Number one. Abigail was smart. Oh, was this lady smart. She handles this whole situation brilliantly. She knew how to approach people. She knew when to approach people. And she knew what to say. I want to just go through and pull out a few verses to show us how she interacted throughout the story with great wisdom and intelligence. So look at verse 14. It said, meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at him. The first thing we can see is that the servant was not afraid to approach her. So obviously she had a good rapport. She had a good reputation. She had the trust of the people in her household, even though her household was very volatile. It says that they were not, he was not afraid to approach her. Her behavior beforehand had set the table for people to trust her and confide in her when the stakes were high. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, wine, sheep, uh, roasted grain, raisins, fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband what she was doing. Now, first of all, this is one of my life principles, not not telling my husband what I'm doing. That's not my life principle. But always show up with food is my life principle. Always show up with food. Seriously, how smart was this? Not only did she show up with food, she sent the food first. So all these guys, are, and they're like, wait a minute, look at all the raisins that just showed up here, right? She sent the food ahead first. This was so smart. Showing up with food for really hungry men immediately began diffusing the situation. Even before a word came out of her mouth, she just was smart and sent the food ahead. Also, she knew not to bring Nabal into the situation at this point. Now, while some might say that that was deceptive, I think she was showing great discernment and good discretion in dealing with a very volatile situation. She just had to make a call, and she made a call. Look at verse 23 and 25, through 25. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. And then she began to talk about it. But we see Abigail approach this situation with humility, right? She again diffused the situation with deference 
and apologies. She even apologized for something that wasn't her fault because she had the wisdom to know that an apology needed to be offered and that Nabal would never be the one to offer it. And therefore, she apologized. Now, this shows incredible confidence to be able to say, this whole thing was wrong. I apologize, right? She showed wisdom and humility in the way that she approached David. And the last part, 26 through 31. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies be like those who try be as cursed as Nabal is. So first of all, she is referring to the fact that Saul has been chasing after him, and he has yet to take vengeance on Saul. Actually, if you have your Bible and we're in 25, look over at 24. One chapter before, what has happened? David has had an opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't take it. Look at chapter 26, the next chapter. Same thing. David has another opportunity to kill Saul, doesn't take it. This story is sandwiched right in between two opportunities that David has to shed blood, and he doesn't do it. Which is part of why I think he got so mad at Nabal. Like, okay, I can't kill that guy, but I'm going to sure kill you, right? He was like, all right, I have to be show discretion over here. But we see her call this out and said, I know that you have had a chance to shed blood before, and you haven't. You are an honorable man, right? She reminds him of God's call in his life. She speaks to his future. She talks about God is going to make you king. Your future is to be the king of Israel. God has a plan for your life. God is protecting you. God is honoring you. She speaks of his future. Abigail's speech here is one of the longest that we ever see of a woman in scripture. She gives this beautiful speech to David. She kind of has him putty in her hands a little bit, right? She speaks to his future. Look at verse 29. She speaks of his past. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. What's she referring to? Goliath. Right? She's like, oh, and remember when God was with you before? When you were just a young person? Like stones shot from a sling? The fact that she put that in there is just brilliant, right? Abigail is so smart in how she approaches David. She reminds David of who God has called him to be. She steps in and gently turns his attention away from his anger in the moment and redirects him toward what God has already done in his life and what God is going to do in his future. She approaches this situation with great skill and emotional intelligence. So first of all, Abigail was smart. Secondly, Abigail discerned and then acted. Now, many times when we're in situations where we have to make decisions, there are multiple options in front of us, right? How do we know what's the right thing to do? In this moment, Abigail's husband was behaving in a way that had put her whole household in danger. His integrity was lacking, and the ripple effects were running through his family. Abigail was caught in this rising tension of her husband's behavior causing his ultimate demise. And so in the moment, Abigail had the discernment to make a decision to act, even though some might say that she stepped out of line in going around her husband. Now listen, I've been around a long time, and I've seen this happen to a lot of women and men who are in this exact situation. Someone in your life is behaving badly, and it is wreaking havoc on your whole household. Now, for a long time, the church hasn't been very good about knowing what to do in those moments. 
we've made it a little more black and white, right? For years, women who were in dangerous, abusive situations were told, well, just, just pray, just stay quiet. But the story of Abigail shows us that there are times when the most godly thing you can do is act. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is act. The reality is that she was, in fact, protecting her whole household, including her husband, from the effects of his foolish behavior. So what do you do when you are affected by someone else's foolish behavior? Whether that's a spouse like Abigail, maybe it's a child, and you've got somebody wreaking havoc in your home. Maybe it's a coworker and you are in a situation at work where someone is behaving foolish and you are in the tunnel of all of that behavior and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's a boss who is behaving without integrity and you feel yourself caught in that tunnel. Maybe it's a friend. You're with your friends and everybody seems to be going this direction and you're like, I feel like I'm getting caught up in this whole thing. Abigail shows us that there are times when we have to use discernment to take action even when there might be people who say we should just sit back and be quiet. Now, we are for loving people always. We are for preserving marriages. We are for showing integrity and kindness. And the way you speak and the way you act is also very important. But sometimes the most integrous thing you can do is to draw a line in the sand and take action towards someone else's foolish behavior. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit because he will help you know where that line is and when to act and when to speak up, just like Abigail had such discernment and wisdom. When you are faced with what you, when you don't know what their next step is, quiet yourself and let the Holy Spirit speak to wisdom to your heart. Right after I graduated from college, my very first job was a worship pastor at a tiny little church in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. The church was shaped like Noah's Ark. It was a real thing. But let me tell you about Pat. Pat was the church secretary, and so I worked with Pat a lot. And one day, you know, I was 21 years old, and Jeff and I were engaged, and I remember us talking one day. And Pat started to tell me the story of her husband, her and her husband, and they'd been married for 50 years. He played on the worship team, and they were a great couple. And, and I was commenting, oh, I hope that Jeff and I have a marriage like you guys have. And I remember Pat saying to me, well, Christy, it wasn't Christy. It wasn't always like that. That's how she said it. It wasn't always like that. My husband was an alcoholic for many, many, many years. And she said, but you know what would happen is I just covered everything. I just took care of everything. I would call in to work for him. I would just protect the kids from anything he did. I would, I would take care of this. I would cover that. I would do this and that. And one night, she said, one night I was getting ready to go to bed, and I was brushing my teeth. And we have a little cup on the counter, and we would put our toothbrushes in the, in the cup. And she said, and every night... I would brush my teeth, and I would put it with the brush side up so that it could dry. And every night, my husband would brush his teeth, and he would put the brush side down into the cup. And every night, I would finish brushing my teeth, and I would grab his toothbrush, and I would flip it over because I didn't want his toothbrush to be gross and, you know, wet in the bottom of the cup. She goes, and one night, just as I had done a million times before, I reached for that toothbrush, and I started to flip it, and the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, if you keep fixing it, he'll never know. It was the toothbrush. <laughs> he doesn't know that you're flipping his toothbrush every night. He's never once had to put a gross, soggy, mildewy toothbrush into his mouth because you keep flipping it. And if you don't stop doing that, he's never going to learn. And she said, that was the moment my whole marriage changed, the toothbrush. 
Because from that moment on, I realized I have to stop fixing it. I have to let him deal with some of the consequences. He's got to taste that in order to see it. And she talked about that story, and it was so powerful. And that was the beginning of real change in their home and real change in their family. And God began to work in his heart. She stopped covering from him. She let him experience the consequences of his actions. She set some boundaries. And eventually, he realized he had to change. And God got a hold of him, and he found Christ, and he got sober and he was, they'd been married 50 years. And it's such a great story to me, not because of the life change, because the life change is amazing. But today, I want you to know the Holy Spirit will speak to you if you will listen. He will tell you when it's time to make a change if you are listening. So listen for his direction and then act on it. You have to just hear it. It doesn't work if you just hear it and don't do anything. You have to listen and then act on it, which leads us to this last point that we can learn about Abigail. Abigail was brave. Now, it's easy to look at scripture and be like, wow, good job, Abigail. But let's put ourselves in that position. This was not nothing. This was a big deal. First of all, she lived at a time when women had no rights and no authority whatsoever. She is dealing with a rich and powerful husband who we see in scripture is mean and harsh. So she didn't know what the end result was going to be for this. Then she puts herself on a donkey and puts herself in front of David and 400 armed angry men. So this was a big deal. I can imagine that she starts acting and then she's on the donkey on the way to meet and the food has gone on ahead and she's probably like, this might be a really terrible idea. And yet she was brave. She was brave. Every single societal and cultural rule around her would say that she should just sit back and be quiet. And yet she knew that she needed to act. And so she did not hesitate to act when she needed to. She could have easily sat back and said, I'm not allowed to speak up because I'm a woman. Other people might think I'm behaving poorly because I'm inserting myself in the situation. She was in a position where the rules around her would have never given her the authority to act outside of her husband's wishes. And yet she does it anyway. Even though everything around her was pushing her to just go along with the way things were, Abigail chose to bravely act. And we see that God rewarded her obedience In so many ways, her standing up for what was right. He rewarded it by David's response back to her. He rewarded it by taking care of Nabal. He even rewarded it by, at the end of the day, bringing her into David's household and protecting her and giving her a new family. God watched over her. Even though everything around her was pushing on her to just go with the way things were, she chose to bravely act. So today I want to say to this, people of God, we have to do our thing, right? Women in this place, do your thing. Serve God. Step into every single thing he has called you to do. Don't let anything stop you from obeying God's word, doing what he has called you to do. Step into every calling God has put on your heart. Young people, do your thing. Don't let anyone look down on you that you're young, but set an example in the way you live your life. Old people, do your thing. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't have anything to say. Right? Keep the guardrails up for us. 
Keep us in line. Help us. Give us your wisdom. Keep speaking truth to us. We need you. Culturally diverse people, do your thing. Don't let anyone stop you from being everything God has created you to be. Don't let the pressure from other people diminish you. Don't let the messages out there in the world push you down, push down your God-given humanity and dignity. Do your thing. Men, do your thing. Stand up for integrity and righteousness when everything around you in our culture would push you to just go along with what everyone else is doing. Be men of the spirit. Let the spirit guide you and give you discernment and be brave enough to stand up. Abigail showed incredible courage and God rewarded her for her bravery. Every single day, you will face moments where you are standing in that gray area and you might not know what to do. There might be arguments on either side by people you love and respect. There might be conflicting information, and you just aren't sure what the right thing to, is to do. There will be people who tell you that the most godly thing you can do is keep the peace, and there will others that will be telling you the most godly thing you can do is to speak up. What do we do? We live by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Homestead Community Church is a Pentecostal church. That might scare you right now. <laughs> Now, we don't say that we're Pentecostal because we're weird. <laughs> now, there are plenty of weird Pentecostal churches out there. I hope we're not weird. But let me tell you what it means to be Pentecostal. It means that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the only way, the filling of the Holy Spirit is what gives us wisdom and discernment and the courage to live out our lives every single day. We are Pentecostal because we believe that the Holy Spirit is where we get that courage, where we get that discernment, where we get that wisdom. I honestly believe there is no way I could get through my life without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and him whispering into my heart every single day. There's no way to navigate life without this close, active relationship with the Holy Spirit. When he says no, we stop. When he says yes, we go. When he says to be silent, close our mouths and when he says to speak we speak there can be a million opinions and a million voices around you telling you what you should do but you have to be listening and in tune to the Holy Spirit that's the only voice that can give you the wisdom that you will need every single day amen amen let's bow our heads and pray Jesus I thank you so much that this story is in scripture God, I thank you for Abigail. I thank you that you put her story in there. For a number of different reasons, but mostly, Lord, I thank you that you put a story of somebody in a really complex situation. Because sometimes we can, we can paint a really easy picture about the decisions that we're having to make. And yet we know that every decision has so many side effects on so many areas. And I know that there are a lot of people today who are confused, burdened, overwhelmed, anxious about making steps in one direction or another. And so, Lord, I thank you today that there is wisdom to be had through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have promised in your word that if we lack wisdom, we can ask and you will give it abundantly. Lord, you have promised that we can be strong and courageous, that we don't have to be afraid. 
You have promised that the Holy Spirit would empower us with courage when we need to make decisions that feel difficult and hard. So, Lord, first of all, I pray that we would be people of the Spirit. Give us more of you, Jesus. Lord, for those who have never asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I pray that even today, just as we sit here, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, just like you did in the book of Acts, God. You said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, God. And so I'm praying that those that have not experienced that today would just open up their hearts and let you fill them up to overflowing. And God, I pray that that infilling of the Holy Spirit would begin to produce discernment on a deeper level than they've ever had before. That suddenly they would hear your voice clear. They would have wisdom. They would have a prompting in their spirit to speak up or to act and that they would be willing to walk it out. Jesus, thank you for your spirit. I pray today for courage, for those that need courage. I pray for intellect, for those that need to do something and handle it smartly to know when to speak, how to speak, what approach to take. I thank you, Lord, that all of these things are given to us through the power of your spirit. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer today, we would love to be able to pray with you. We're going to have some people up front. We'd be happy to pray with you. Um, God bless you. Have a great week.